welcome to Lincoln. We're a city smack dab in the middle of the country. We're a city that's home to Nebraska's state government, the University of Nebraska, and a host of thriving businesses. We're a city that's loaded with things to do, places to go, and friendly people to meet. This podcast, simply called Lincoln, is designed to help you get to know the people of Lincoln, what makes them tick, and why they're excited to live here. Each episode will feature another of our residents just talking about who they are, what they do, and how they got here. I'm Randy Bretz, and joining me for these conversations is Marilyn Moore. Years ago, Marilyn moved here to go to college and anticipated an exciting life somewhere out there. But she never left Lincoln. She's been in the classroom and served in leaderships in our public schools and one of the colleges here. I moved here with my family for a job at the university and to further my education. We thought we'd be here for two or three years, and that was 40 years ago. The people of Lincoln make this community special. We want you to get to know them. We hope you'll enjoy listening to these conversations as much as we have putting them together. And now, let's meet someone who makes Lincoln their home. Today, we are blessed to have a young lady that grew up in Lincoln, went to college in Lincoln, and then went away to college yes. and, uh, and, uh, and spent some time in Africa. Her name is Katie Heil, and Katie just has a great story. And so I thought, well, I think she'd be somebody that you'd like to meet. So hi, Katie. Hi. We're glad to have you here. Tell us a little bit. Uh, I guess let's, let's just start by asking you, what is your Lincoln story? Okay. Um, well, as you said, I, I am a Lincoln native, and I grew up here, went to high school and the university. And so I, my Lincoln story and what brought me back after being away for several years was an experience that I had in high school. I was a sophomore at Pius, and I had volunteered with my mom to welcome a new refugee family that had just recently arrived from Afghanistan. And it was a single mom with six of her children. And we volunteered that afternoon, and it was my first encounter with a refugee family. And for me, it was just beautiful to be of help in any way that I could to her. But watching her and her children over the next few years rebuild their lives in Lincoln and just the amount of support they received from the community and the education, it was it was amazing. And so I was really drawn to my love of serving refugees then and seeing how the Lincoln community responded and embraced the family was really beautiful. And really ever since then, that was the fall of 1999. So coming up on 20 years. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> I, I just met you a few weeks ago and I've heard a number of stories, but I had not heard that one before. Yeah, what a what it's, a phenomenal story! Mm-hmm. So your mother, how how did that come about to, it, to well, welcome I think, that family? Yeah, we were living at St. Joseph's Parish, and there was a volunteer there through Catholic Social Services. She reached out to my mom and asked if we could help furnish the home and set things up. So my dad put together, like, the bunk beds for the kids, and we moved them in and purchased some, you know, clothing for them and household kitchen stuff. And, yeah, it was just, I don't know, really— 
be- and you, they didn't speak English, and I obviously didn't speak Farsi. I don't speak <laughs> Farsi, <laughs> you know, but just little ways we were able to communicate, and I just have been working with refugees ever since. Um, now, when yeah, was this, did you say? The fall of 1999. 99. And where are they now? They're still living in Lincoln. Okay. Yeah, I haven't spoken to them in a couple years, but... I bet those kids yeah. are, I mean, those children oh, are growing now, yeah, yeah, yes, uh-huh. I knew, well, and this was a few years ago, because I did um, interview the mother for a school paper that I was mm-hmm. doing at the university, and her kids, you know, had dreams of going to medical school and being doctors and mm-hmm. teachers, and it was just really cool, because what had happened to their father was um, due to the Taliban taking control in Kabul and... Um, just what they had witnessed, you know, when they were just kids and being able to um, to come together as a family and rebuild and dream and hope again for the future. It was it was cool to watch that from the outside. To be uh, For them to be able to be in a safe space where they didn't have to worry right. about that was, mm-hmm. was huge. Yeah. You know, yeah. your, your story just illustrates so much of the... Of, of the reality of refugee families in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Many of them are here under the auspices of Catholic Social Services or another nonprofit organization, mm-hmm. and those nonprofits recruit families like yours that, mm-hmm. that um, connect to a refugee family and, and help them with basics like bunk beds for the children, but mm-hmm. also with things like how, how do you live in a whole in a community that's so different from where you came? Right. So you just become like cultural brokers for those mm-hmm. families. What a wonderful experience, Katie. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. It was, um, it definitely set me on a path. And, you know, that's how I chose what I focused on at the university when I went on to grad school. What prompted me to go to Africa and volunteer was really that one encounter with that family. And I don't think they'll ever, you know, maybe understand how much they meant to me. But, um, yeah, it was. I'd like to back up a little bit because sure. you've okay. told us about meeting this this family and how that's impacted you. And you just casually said, I went to Africa. Oh, so, yes. So, you got your undergraduate degree at the University of Nebraska, mm-hmm. and then you where did you get a, a master's degree? I went to Seton Hall University in New Jersey. Okay. Yes, and so it was a master's in diplomacy and international relations, but I focused a lot on Africa, refugees, and development. So how did you end up in Africa, or tell yes. us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was coming up at the end of my two years, and a lot of my colleagues, um, fellow classmates, were getting ready to do entry-level positions at the State Department. And my dream had always been to work at the United Nations mm-hmm. High Commissioner for Refugees. And it would have been an entry-level position in years um, doing just a lot of, I think, bureaucratic work. And mm-hmm. so I wasn't very excited about, I mean, I was because it was my dream, but one thing I was missing was that practical field experience. And my heart had always been abroad, like in Africa and the Middle East and Asia, South America. I just, I loved traveling. And so when I finished up and graduated, I, instead of pursuing the entry-level positions, I went for one year to volunteer in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I I went with an Italian organization of Catholic sisters, and they had been working in the DRC for decades, since before mm-hmm. independence. Mm-hmm. And 
when I applied, they didn't have the Congo listed as one of their options to send volunteers um, just because of the high security. A lot of organizations don't work in DRC. And so when I had my Skype interview with the sister who was in Rome at the time, and she said, oh, we're sending you to Congo. But, okay. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did. I did. I went for a couple months of training in Rome and then flew down to Uganda. They put me on a bus to northern Uganda and I crossed the border and was picked up by another sister who spoke no English and I didn't speak Italian and um, yeah so then I, I lived in the DRC working as a volunteer for one year in community with a few other volunteers. So wh where did you live and what was the size of the, were you in a village, were you in a little town in a city? Right. Um, it was a village town called Aru near um, the border of Uganda and South Sudan. And it's it's a town of about 25,000 people, but okay. they're pretty spread out. Mm -hmm. And there had been volunteers working with the sisters since I believe 2006. And when I went there 2010, 2011, I was responsible along with the other volunteers to carry on the work that previous volunteers had started. So different projects like working at a bakery, an internet cafe. I taught English art and music at the preschool. We opened a public library. The first ever in this town and it was really it was an amazing experience because we were able to live um, within the Congolese community and really having spent an entire year there I was able to develop a lot of friendships with local people but then also living in the community of volunteers there was one other American and a couple Canadians a Romanian a Czech a bunch of Italians um, yeah, it was just, it was really cool to live in community. And I think that it made the entire experience um, a lot more powerful. Mm -hmm. Marilyn, when I first met her, she was telling me these stories. Mm -hmm. And I would look at her and say, are you real? I just <laughs> can't believe it. How old were you when, when you were there? Uh, I think I went down when I was 25, 25. 26. Okay. And yeah. what did your parents think? Well, oh, well hi, Mom and Dad. I'm yeah. going to go to the Congo. Yeah. Or, and live in the... Uh, mm -hmm. well, <laughs> um, I think that they didn't know as much about Congo then as they do now. Uh -huh. um, so it wasn't... I mean, clearly it was a country in Africa, but, it, you know, we didn't have the knowledge of um, the current leadership, the political conflicts, the displaced, internally displaced persons, and all the, um, the rebel groups that are there. And so I don't, I think they just didn't know too much about it and they trusted me. So they probably trusted the sisters too. And that helped. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So and there were a couple other volunteers there who I was able to email with and they um, were able to kind of reassure me yes. and reassure my parents. Yes. So. so you worked with women there? I did, yes. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah, so at the end of my, coming up at the end of my year as a volunteer, about two weeks before I left, one of my local friends, Mama Arroyo, she had come to me and asked for $1,000 to build a home for her family. So instead of giving her the money, which I could have done, because I did do fundraising before I went to invest in projects there in Congo, I asked her to make 25 handbags that I could bring back and sell to family and friends here in the United States. And so she did, and I brought them back and was able to share 
the beauty of Congo with my family and my friends. And that was really important for me because a lot of times I think that we hear or we see all the negative things that are happening in Africa and the poverty and the conflict, you know, but there is true beauty and real joy down there. And that that's what defined my experience. And so I wanted to bring that beauty back with me and I was able to do so through these handbags. And so then sending, you know, her the profits from the sales after I sold them was also really meaningful to her because she had used her skills and her talents as a seamstress to yes. create something beautiful and use that money to help, you know, build a home and save for her family. She's married with three little kids. Um, so that was a really beautiful experience, and our friendship is what is the basis of this women's cooperative that we then started. So that was 2011, 2012, and 13. I was back working at Catholic Social Services as a refugee case manager, and I had her and about four other women in Congo make 100 handbags that they shipped to me here in Lincoln for the Christmas season 2012 and 13 and I sold them at the YMCA and different churches throughout Lincoln and it was very well received and people loved learning more about the women in Congo and so that's what kind of gave me and the women there in the village the courage to start the artisan cooperative so I flew back to DRC in 2014 and that's when we organized Tatonga Bamoy. So that's the name of our, um, yes, of our cooperative, of our... I was our wondering non- how you our, pronounced that. Yep. I looked at the website. <laughs> Tatonga Bamoy. Yes, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it means build our future yeah. in their local language. So I wanted it to be really significant for the women. Um, it can be a little difficult to pronounce here, but once you say mm-hmm. it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it flows. It does. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what's the volume now? I mean, you started with 25 handbags. Then you mentioned... Yes. 100 hang, handbags. Right. So what's happening um, now? We've done several thousand products. And we, wow. yes. So we started with the handbags. And then we moved into making bow ties and neckties for men. Because what I found as I learned more about the fair trade community in the United States was that there weren't a lot of products or opportunities for men here to become involved. And so that's what prompted um, our men's collection. And then we also do a line of head wraps for women. Mm-hmm. And it's designed we designed them to serve women who are going through chemo treatment or who have alopecia so the head wraps are very easy to tie Um, they're pre-sewn a little bit so they're easy to wear but those are our main products and then I've done a number of events I lived in Denver actually for the previous four years until moving back to Lincoln this year so 2014 to 2018 and that was a really good um, opportunity for me to connect with other fair trade members and community and I was able to learn a lot about what you know my responsibilities here in the U.S. would be to the women and how I can spread the word of Congo and learn a lot of the business I guess behind it and the marketing and the website design and the accounting and the logistics and the trade uh, customs. So so basically as as I understand this you are kind of in a business partnership with is it more than one village now or just uh, uh, one village? Or Yes. So, good, great question. Um, so, we started in Aru, where I had lived in that first year, uh-huh. in 2014. And then 2015, 
I went back and we did a business training because my concern was that, you know, we do have this business relationship where the women are making the product and I sell it here in the United States. Um, but I didn't want them to become too dependent on me placing these international orders with them. And I wanted, mm -hmm. you know, them to develop uh, within their own village and their own towns into entrepreneurs and grow their local market. And so when we did this business training at the end of the week long training, it was really beautiful. It's a hands on. They learn, you know. Uh, in the beginning, the first few chapters are dreaming big and setting up shop and marketing and customer service and writing a business plan. Just really beautiful basics that mm -hmm. we kind of, I think, take for granted here sometimes. But it was really powerful for the women to learn those lessons. And then at the end of the training, they had decided to open up a shop in town. And so we focused on that in 2015. And they served about 600 customers this past year, making different things like they do the handbags for them as well, but um, clothing, so shirts and wedding outfits, choir outfits, uniforms. Um, so they're really growing locally. And then the most beautiful thing was in 2016, I went back to, to work with them for a couple months and they had started a project where they were training young women in their, in our own village how to sew. And these yes. women would qualify to participate in the program with the ladies of Tatonga Bamoy by not having had the opportunity to finish primary or secondary school. So these were really, you know, the women I work with are impoverished, but they are serving, you know, even the more desperate, the, the poorest of the poor, you know, and it's just, it was so beautiful to be able to see the women that I work with who I see as having, you know, little to nothing, but yet taking of their time and their talents and giving, giving of that to others. It was the most beautiful moment. It's so encouraging. I, 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 what in Lincoln, Nebraska, in your, in your raising other than the uh, afghani family right what what helped you do this um, i mean we live in the middle of the country and we don't right. see too many international people and no. can, can you can you tell me um, it just fascinates me i i don't i think a lot of it is just the Hmm. The personal experiences and the encounters that I've had through throughout my life, you know, mm -hmm. whether it was at school or volunteering with my family, with my grandparents, just every opportunity there, you know, was in someone new that I met or a new place that I went to. And it's just I'm a very adventurous and curious person to begin with, I think. But um, just really getting to know people in who they are. Um, I don't know. It's just, I really love relationships and friendships and just reflecting back on uh, the different times of, of my life. There was, um, well, I had a really rough um, freshman year of high school. I actually, we lived in Iowa for a year and it was really, well, I mean, I think it's just difficult being in high school anyways, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it was, 
I just think from that experience, just because I did have a tough time at school, I was able to rely and lean on my family a whole lot. And it's just those relationships. It's like I, I always knew that no matter how difficult something was or how hard an experience was going to be, like I would always have my family and my faith. And I have been guided by those two pillars mm -hmm. throughout everything. So I think just even though I had those difficult experiences, I was, I'm able as an adult and even when I was, you know, being a young adult, look back and know, you know, yeah, that was difficult. Yeah, that was hard and it wasn't fun, but I got through it and I became a better person because of it. And so I just know that the more challenging experiences I have, the more people I meet, the more um, opportunities that I pursue, the better, per the better person I'm going to become. And that, and that matters to me because then um, I'm able to give more of myself and my time to, to others. Pretty strong mission there, Katie. Thanks. You can tell. Just, wow. That's a, that's a story. And it's led you back to the Congo a couple of times. Right, yes. And then you lived in Denver for a while? I did, yes. Um, and... Well, because I came back from Africa and I was in Lincoln for a couple years mm -hmm. and I just didn't feel there was there were a lot of opportunities for young people here mm -hmm. um, in 2014. So my sister, she had actually just finished a year of volunteer um, work in Honduras. She's a nurse. And so both of us just decided to move to Denver. Um, and so we did. But she has since moved back. She actually moved back a year after we lived there. And then I came back this Christmas. So what, what drew you back? Was it your family? Mm -hmm. um, family's a big part of it. Uh, and I think I, I was never going to stay forever in Denver. Uh -huh. And so it just kind of okay. made sense to come home. But I was reading and hearing a lot about Lincoln and the growth that is happening here and the opportunities um, for young professionals, and I just, I wanted to be a part of it. Lincoln has always been home. And one thing that I really love about Lincoln is that after having lived um, in different cities and different countries, Lincoln, we, like people in Nebraska, really invest our time in what matters most. And I think we slow down enough to do that, mm -hmm. you know, so you don't have the busyness of the city and you have people here in Nebraska who are so sincere and so genuine and it's just because we're it's a slower pace out here we have time to get to know one another and that really I really value that so I was pretty excited to come home but you're you're also able to continue this international business that you've started from yes. right here in the in the middle of the country yeah um yes how, do, how does that work? What systems do you have in place? And, mm -hmm. and who do you have on board to make this whole thing work? Mm -hmm. Right. So great question. Um, up until this point, we've been a for-profit here in Lincoln. And I've now, since having, <clears throat> since having moved back to, to Lincoln, I've decided to kind of transition our LLC into a nonprofit. Because the women in Congo, we, we actually just purchased land to build a community center. And so their, their needs are... Of course are, you did. I know. <laughs> of course you did. Yes. Yeah. It was really exciting. Um, and we communicate through um, just through texting. So we use WhatsApp mm -hmm. and we can talk every day, which is great because 
several years ago when this first started, I was emailing one of the sisters or volunteers to print the email and give to the women. And then, you know, so technology, thank goodness, has stepped it up in Congo. Um, so we get to communicate daily. But um, so, yeah, we purchased land and we're going to be expanding our work. So we are now training women in other villages. So we're actually working in two different villages now. And we've been invited to two more. So they're... Um, their activities are really growing, and I'm transitioning into a nonprofit in hopes of supporting them even more on the ground in Congo. But I do find people in Lincoln are very excited to learn more, are um, willing to to listen, to learn, to commit, to participate. Um, I do have an office at Turbine Flats, and that's been really great. So, um, yeah. I, I want to circle back to uh, what what drew you to this international love that you have. Um, and you made, a, you made a comment about Lincoln as a welcoming city for a lot of refugees. Yes. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. I know mm-hmm. Catholic Social Services is very involved in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and then Lutheran Family Services also participates in receiving new refugee families and getting them set up here in Lincoln. And I've had the opportunity to also apply with um, like Salvation Army and Matt Talbot Kitchen, uh, Cedars Home, Friendship Home. And it's just been really beautiful because it, with every refugee family that I have met, you know, their gratitude and for their experience here in Lincoln has just been beyond um amazing, I think. You know, we do have affordable housing. We have strong private and public schools. We have jobs, you know, for men and women who are coming here to rebuild their lives and serve their families and support their families and send their kids to college. And I just, I think that um, Lincoln has a great deal to offer, um, of course, for the basics, but, but again, like with the people in Lincoln and in Nebraska and how I mentioned, you know, we we invest in what we know matters most and that's our faith in our family and then embracing embracing the newcomers. So, Are there others like you who have uh, gone to Africa or other countries uh, like you have as well? Um, Who are here in Lincoln? Uh I believe so, yeah. I'm still connecting with a lot of individuals. Um, I know of a few women here who have worked with women in Thailand and then support um, their sales from their business, do support purchasing lunches and food and uniforms for kids in Haiti and in Kenya. And so I think that it's certainly the fair trade, ethical trade, global movement isn't as present in Lincoln yet as it was in Denver, but it's coming and I'm excited to be part of it. I have a question. Uh, This is kind of a silly thing, but uh, Lincoln would be better if... Um, Fill in the blank. Lincoln would be better if, well, hmm, I guess I, I've only been here in the winter, so I, <laughs> <laughs> it's just been it's been a really harsh winter. So initially, I just want to say Lincoln would be better if people could spend more time outside. Um, I think that we've all been January, February, March were really cold, and even April. So mm-hmm. what I love about Lincoln is. Um, seeing new local shops opening and local restaurants. And so and I think 
Um, I'm a huge fan of breweries and outdoor seating and venues. And so I just think that the more Lincoln grows and the more creativity and ingenuity that we're bringing into, into our city, it will just happen naturally. So, yeah, Lincoln would be better if we could spend more time outside. Okay. Well, but we'll I think it's coming. <laughs> well, and there, there are some yeah. cities that have uh, harsher climates than we do, but they just embrace that and figure yes. out how do you do outdoors mm-hmm. in the winter. So yes. Minneapolis does that. Right. I mean, yeah. They celebrate snow and ice and cold weather. I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not sure I'm quite there yet, uh-huh. but, but uh-huh. given this past winter, I think I need to be because it is hard to be inside day after day it after is. day after day. It is. Yeah. And no, that was a perfect example. And I mean, I remember um, being in Germany, you know, it was so cold, but there you, there you have people sitting outside um, in community, mm-hmm. eating, drinking, just, they do embrace the outdoors mm-hmm. even in the winter. So uh, Lincolnites, I think we need to do that too. give you something to do in your pastime. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you have any pastime. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Katie, thank you very, very much. Thank you, yeah. Thank what you both for great, having me. What a great story you have to tell. Thank you. Thanks, thanks so much. Yes. Well, thanks for listening in as we talk with someone who helps make Lincoln special. If you live here, drop us a note and let us know what you think about Lincoln. If you've moved away, well, we'd love to welcome you back. And if you've only heard about or visited Lincoln, we just know you'd love it here. Join us again and catch someone from Lincoln talking about why they love Lincoln and why you should too.